Everybody and welcome to Pudding Ain't Easy, the Bad Batch. And today we are doing episodes nine through to eleven. I'm your host Carl Pierce, and with me, as always, the man of a thousand podcasts. <laughs> it's Scott McLeod. Everybody, that's why a thousand, but it feels like it's some week. <laughs> How you doing, Carl? Yeah, I'm not too bad at all. Thank you very much, Scott. Oh, that's me As long as Carl's feeling all right, fuck the rest of us. <laughs> and how about you, Scott? You all right? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, last week was a particularly busy week for me, like podcast wise. But you know, trying to get you easier now as we round out October. Good, good. That's what we like to hear. So you'll be doing. 999 podcasts this month. <laughs> Maybe a bit less, if I'm lucky. <laughs> so, um, we've both now seen um, Black Widow. Now it's because um, I'm cheap and I've waited till it was free on uh, Disney+. Plus. It's all about free as far as the regular subscription goes. So what did you think of um, the Black Widow film? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not, a film, it's not a film I was like anticipating. Like obviously, I wanted to to watch it because you know it looked interesting. You know, getting to see more of Black Widow's backstory, the first live action interpretation of uh, the Taskmaster character as a kind of a secondary villain, and everything. So, but I was happy enough to kind of wait for it. And you know, it was you know it's it's basically what is Scott Johnson's swan song in terms of the MCU. You know, it was a decent film. Uh, it felt more like. You know, they were basically like an introduction for uh, Helena, played by Florence Pugh, more than anything else, more, even more so than, you know, kind of a goodbye for Scarlett Johansson because, uh, you know, they've already confirmed Helena's going to appear in Hawkeye and uh, with a post credit scene and everything. And I think the people at Bymar were hoping that Florence Pugh is going to step into like the Scarlett Johansson kind of role. Yeah, yeah, I sort of got that impression as well about the Elena character, and uh, she played a good part actually for its pure. Quite, I quite enjoyed that character. Uh, I thought the film was a little bit sort of. I mean, I enjoyed it, um, I, but I thought it was a bit of a mismatch, and it seemed a bit all over the place at times. It was like trying to be a bit cold warry at parts, like trying to be sort of. A soldier, and then at the end, it turned into it turned into like a Michael Bay film for like the final <laughs> the final act. Yeah, I think like, like the fight scenes were very much like the first thing I thought of. I seen a lot of the fight scenes, particularly like the way the Black Widow and all the other people like her were trained. Is it felt very much like the Bourne films, like when she goes to that mm. apartment in uh, Budapest, and as the fight with Helena. The camera's constantly moving about. It feels very early, like Jason Bourne films kind of thing. And I guess still that a lot of action movies after that try to copy 
with varying degrees of, of success. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, it was very serious, you know, when you hear just how hard it was, you know, like, the, like it's really exciting, like, for Black Widow, but also for her sister had it very tough as well. And, like, they tried to pepper in the comedy elements of it, but it was really hard to find it when to do, when to be funny and when to be serious. And, uh, I've forgotten the name of the actor, but he's in like Stranger Things. He played the, the Red Guardian. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I can't. Uh, his name is David Harbour, I think. Yeah, David I think Har- it is. Harbour. Yeah, him is like this. He's like CZ Sell is basically an equivalent to Captain America. He was like, as the, was like, he doesn't think he did anything wrong when he was bringing those two up, but obviously he's very much mistaken. So he was good, like the, the funny element of it, but outside of that, yeah, like I said, it did feel at times. That mismatched. Yeah, I thought it was quite. I thought it was quite easily telegraphed the fact that when they got um, sort of captured and and took in, it was it was always going to be part of a plan to get to the Ray Winston character. I forget the character's name now. Yeah. So I pretty much figured that out straight away, which is a little bit disappointing but um yeah i didn't see uh i must admit i didn't see the twist come in that taskmaster was his daughter all along i didn't i thought that was quite uh a cool little twist i didn't see that one come in yeah uh obviously a bit of creative license taken with the character because mm. like not saying oh it's always a male but like it's came i think it always portrays a male because i don't think you often see taskmaster what i've seen without his his mask but yeah, like the idea for this twist and like that she wasn't killed, but also she's now like his Ray Winston's character kind of puppet in the end, and the fact that she was basically freed and not killed at the end, which because we hope we can see her again, but as more of an anti-hero than a, a villain, and later MCU either shows or films, I think that would be quite interesting. And uh, yeah, Ray Winston. Uh, from Russia by way of East London, apparently. <laughs> the same part of Russia that bloody Sean Connery was clearly from in Hunt for Red October. Yeah, I think he, he, he sort of like tried a Russian accent here and there and then sort of like gave up halfway halfway through. But um, he, you know, you can't say too many bad things about the legend that is Ray Winston. But yeah, I mean for a for a villain that was you know so smart, he made quite a dumb error by sort of telling Scarlet, um, Scarlet, the Black Widow, Scarlet's character. Um, what's that? Oh, Natasha. I'm trying to think of her, the Black Widow's real name, and I came up with the actress's <laughs> name by mistake, telling Natasha Romanov um, how that, how um, he was able to stop her from hitting him, how that worked by uh, smelling pheromones, because straight away, you know, she's going to try and break her nose or something. So he, he slipped up there. He, you know, a magician never gives away his secrets. He, he should have, uh, he shouldn't have spilt so much information. But uh, yeah, in parts, it was a really good film. And um, another thing is um, David Harbour's character, the, what was he called? Like the Russian something. He, yeah, that's, uh, yeah there are, there's no way he could have stayed in that costume for so long if he barely got into it. Trust <laughs> me, as someone who's put on weight and tried to squeeze into <laughs> jeans that no longer fit, you, you, you can't wait to, to rip clothes off that uh, are too tight. Uh, like, uh, you said about the, uh, 
like the, the thing to try to feel like when I feel good, I do agree because there were elements like the the weird like face mask thing that they used in Winter Soldier at one point, they randomly just brought in at the end with like little warning when it seems like Rachel Wise's character has like turned on them, but turns out no, it's just seeing Scarlet and her and Natasha like swapped places just with the, the, those masks and everything, which uh, I actually would have preferred maybe if Rachel Wise's character did kind of be revealed to have turned on them because I think she was actually kind of underused in the film. Mm. And Taskmaster was used very much like uh, the Winter Soldier was as well in um, in the film by the same name. Uh, you know, brought in as like the last ditch um, effort to clean up the mess and take out anyone to take out, and seem to sort of fight and stalk her prey in a similar sort of fashion. But it was like a film almost of two halves. Half of it was trying to be like this sort of almost Cold War-ish Winter Soldier type movie. And then the second half was like balls to the wall action as if Michael Bay had suddenly taken the director's chair. <laughs> yeah. Also, it was weird to like when they chose to set this because obviously it came out after Endgame. Uh, and we all know that Natasha uh, dies, like sacrifices herself in Endgame. What? <laughs> Excuse me! <laughs> So, you know, I always, uh, like, I know for years people were clamoring for a Black Widow solo film. I was never one of those people, like, I thought, oh, if it comes, then fair enough. But, you know, I think, you know, it was, it was a weird choice to put out after we already know that she's, she's died and everything. Uh, and I think we were better off, I think we were better for, like, having at the Marvel come first as the first female-led film before Black Widow, even though Black Widow was the established name too for kind of longer than her. But, you know, I think, you know, kind of like what they're doing with Hawkeye, if you gave this, if you t- went to the story but made it like a six-part Disney Plus original like sh- series, you probably could have come to the same goal and maybe had more time to tell it properly. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Um, it makes me sort of think of the Han Solo movie and the Star Wars. It's a film we didn't really need. And part of uh, the allure of... Um, Black Widow character is sort of the sort of mysterious sort of circumstances of um, where she came from and how she came to be. And, you know, you, you don't need every sort of mystery uncovered, but uh, film executives seem to think you do, or they seem to think it's a good excuse for another movie at any rate. But yeah. it's not, you know, I'm, I don't want people to miss construe this i don't think it's a terrible movie by any stretch uh you know i'd say it's like a middle of the road movie very entertaining i enjoyed it but i didn't think it was at the same time i didn't think it was anything special if that makes sense yeah i think there's been worse films in the mcu oh oh, definitely for dark world we're looking at you Mm -hmm. yeah iron man 2 uh anyone but you know it was good to see her get a spotlight and there were elements of her backstory that were Good to kind of see, you know. Uh, I've never seen it, but I remember there was that film that came out a few years ago, Red Sparrow, that Jennifer Lawrence was in. That the script, way that they portrayed the Black Widow program is very similar to that, and so there was interesting. But yeah, like it did feel like it was all over the place in, in parts, and also the fact that it was weirdly set. I think somebody at one point was said, "Oh, it's going to be set between Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame." Then it's actually well, actually not between Civil War and Infinity War, mm. and. Uh, but I like, guess uh, things you didn't need to know, like oh look here's how they got a Quinjet, and because of the end she said she's gonna break out some friends, so uh, obviously she and 
Steve Rogers guy who helped break out the guys that got captured at the end of Civil War and that on the raft. So, you know, there were some elements that were good about it. I mean, a thing commonly joked about between Hawkeye and Black Widow was uh, something that happened at Bidifest, and I think it's been revealed to, like, they were trying to kill Ray Winston's character, but invariably they thought they killed his daughter, who, but then she survived, and in order to keep her alive, like, she ended up getting turned into uh, the Taskmaster. Yeah, the, the, I mean, there are a couple of interesting elements in there, but... Um... Yeah, again, I don't think it was super needed, but yeah, it's enjoyable enough. Uh, if you get a free couple of hours, it's definitely worth checking out. But it doesn't it doesn't stand up against the best Marvel entries, but it's certainly better than the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if we were ever going to rank like a lot of the Marvel like, films or that, I think we have talked about doing that. I think it would be somewhere in the middle where like there's. It just, it just depends what your criteria is for a good like standalone film. I think a lot of people had different criteria. Yeah, hundred percent. I'd probably have it somewhere middle of the road as well. Yeah. But there we go. Sort of uh, does sort of feel like an end of an era with uh, characters such as um, Black Widow mm-hmm. being written out, and obviously. Um, the new Captain America, Chris Evans, bowing out. So it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, this new phase of Marvel sort of pans out as the films start um, being released next year. Yeah, definitely, because like, I think we're going to continue maybe potentially the fading out of uh, of characters like with Hawkeye coming out in a couple of weeks, because uh, you know, I think mm. the angle is kind of for Haley Steinfeld's character to take over the, the mantle from Hawkeye as actually does in the comics so do I think is Jim Rayner going to be back after the finale of, of Hawkeye we don't know what's going to happen there or is he going to maybe follow up here and there but it feels like he's like one of the last, I think after this like one of the last ones probably the last couple of guys still left are probably Hensworth and, and Ruffalo mm, Maybe Harry Stenfield's going to take over as a, a new sort of Hawkeye or something that looks like where a sort of character arts heading from what the trailers suggesting um for the Hawkeye program anyway but I suppose we'll uh, we'll find out as um as that drops and we get to watch that. Mm-hmm. Yeah but it's uh, not too far away as well. No no the next couple of weeks or so I'd imagine is it? Yeah I think it's the twenty fourth of November and also as we said last week episodes one and two are dropping on the, the same day so that the finale can be sure it come out a week before the premiere of uh, Booker Boba Fett, because Disney Plus don't want the two clashing. Mm. Just drop it all in one go. It's only six episodes, Disney Plus. Come on. It's Christmas! <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, like, we'll give you two at once, and that's the most we'll give you, because I'm pretty sure like Mandalorian, <laughs> when that first dropped, they released the first two episodes together. And I remember, obviously, I could have watched Mandalorian like via, you know, not so legal means before it Disney Plus came to the UK, but I was a good boy, I waited. And I assumed that by the time, because it took so long for Disney Plus to get to the UK, oh, Mando will all be in one, and uh, we can watch it. Nope, you get two episodes, now you have to wait weekly like the rest of the world. <laughs> but I suppose it's a way of making sure people uh, keep the, paying their subscription money, I suppose. If you drop into all in one go, people might watch it and then cancel for a month and then wait for the next thing to come along, I suppose. So. So I think it's probably why when they're doing it weekly, then like especially Marvel have been releasing stuff very like close together because like 
I think uh, like one division, Captain Winter, uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon and Loki between them had like maybe a week or so at most between the, the releases so they're making sure to keep stuff close together and doing it weekly like you said probably to make sure you keep paying your money yeah 100% so anything else you want to talk about before we get to the matter at hand uh, not really I tried to figure out more information about what we talked about last week with the whole like Marvel move and a bunch of their release dates up and uh, found a quote from Kevin Feige and I've never seen somebody say so little but use so many words to say so little <laughs> like he just said oh it's production and all that and we've got so many release days we can afford to move a couple like oh you know we've got to a stage where we can people can afford to wait five months between uh, between movies like they're going to have to between uh, No Way Home and uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness well Kevin Feige it's just not good enough <laughs> yeah very much uh ah, we're fine we just felt it basically it's kind of a uh, production we felt like it whatever <laughs> yeah uh, it sounds like they're uh trying to deflect from maybe some sort of production issues or something but uh yeah we shall, we shall see more something might come to light eventually you never know mm-hmm. like i said it was probably like one or two had issues but also, if they have to move, that means that the others have to be moved so they can all. Mm-hmm. To be fair, they, they do have all these like release dates like set out, and they've even got like, a couple of release dates that don't even have a film like announced to be released on those dates. But you got to think that uh, like Guardians Three will, will get an official release date at some point soon. I think they'll probably wait until after James Gunn's done with Peacemaker and everything. Yeah, yeah, they may they may do. That'll be yeah. Uh... It should be another good film uh, to look forward to. Guardians Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, no that was that was getting into. Maybe this is a thing or different for another time. But you know, I was getting into a debate in a group chat a few weeks ago about what the best trilogy was going to be. What the best trilogy, like standalone films, is, and like the MCU. And one of the guys was very adamant that he thought it was Captain America, and I disagreed. And I even made the argument that. Oh, maybe after No Way Home comes out, there could be an argument to say that the Tom Holland Spider-Man films are the best trilogy in the MCU. And he, I didn't understand the reaction because I got because everybody loves Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but the guy that I was arguing with reacted as if I just presented my next argument as just a dead, a dead body on the table, just like <laughs> if it's so out there as if I try to say, ah, I don't even know, like it was just as if it was an out there statement to say, like, oh yes, the best. And the best comic movie of all time is Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. Uh, no, but yeah, um, it's not something I've actually thought about, but I must say um, the Captain America three films are, this isn't a bad shout, to be fair, but yeah, the Spider-Man films have been awesome too. And if um, No Way Home is as good as the other two, that would definitely make uh, that series a contender as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if we get all those villains coming back and the free Spider Man, like it, it looks looks likely. Even though um, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are doing their best to deny all knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think maybe Guardians could as well depend on the third one because some people, you know, some people like the second one more than the first one. Some people like the first one more, but I think 
them and like Spider-Man and maybe to the extent Captain America, I'd argue like well, the second and third Captain America are more are better for like the extra characters that they bring in rather than Cap himself. But like the other trilogies in the MCU are just wildly inconsistent because you got Iron Man starts off great, gets shit. Uh, Thor trilogy, the first two films are kind of meh, and then you got Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Yeah, Ragnarok's a brilliant film. The first one's actually not as bad as the second one, so if the fourth one comes out, I'll just say, oh yes, the best trilogy is the Thor ones. I, and then by <laughs> that, I mean the first, the first, the third, and the fourth. It's like one never happened. <laughs> Denial knowledge. Deny everything. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, it's an in, it's it's an interesting debate to have, definitely, and it'll probably get more interesting as uh, more films are dropped as well. Yeah, yeah. I just did. Uh, I think Eternals is meant to be coming out soon. I, you know, mm. as I say, I'm not actually that bothered about this film, maybe because I don't I know so little about it. But you know, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got some good reviews I've seen, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really know. Um, many of the characters or what they're about so I can't say I'm super excited for it but I dare say I'll watch it at some point mm-hmm. doubt I'll make the trip to cinema for that one but <laughs> I'll certainly watch it when it's uh, free to free to stream or whatever mm-hmm. yeah but anyway shall we get on with episode 9 to 11 of the Bad Batch then Okay, so picking up uh, episode nine, just to refresh everyone's memory, uh, episode eight ended with um, Omega being apprehended by Cad Bane. So um, episode nine opens up with the Bad Batch being chased by a bandaged up crosshairs. As uh, they chase them through space, um, the shields are uh, giving up, but um, the Bad Batch make the jump into hyperspace um, to get away, even though they're also worried about what's happening to Omega. Meanwhile, we see Omega is a prisoner of Cad Bane. She's been held up into a, a little cell. Um, tells her her friends are long gone and nobody is coming to save her um, she sort of makes a bit of a fuss and Bane tells her she just think, think herself lucky that the Kamoans want her alive so we see a bit on the Kamo- uh, is it Kamoa Kamina um, bad enough of English words that I don't know all these different planet but uh we see the the prime minister Lamasu talking to uh Nela Say. Um he wants um Omega's genetic material and um after that um he says Omega can be terminated so more interested in um Omega's DNA than, than her livelihood which uh, I don't think Sits well with Nala Say. She offers to meet Bane with the the money they're going to pay him for bringing them Omega. Um, but he says, "No, you're too close to um, Omega, and I'll send uh, is it Tanway 
Mm-hmm. As I say, I'm not too sure how some of these names are pronounced. Um, we find out um, back with the Bad Batch that um, they've discovered that she has DNA, which is pretty much uh, first-generation DNA. She's a clone of Django Fett's pure, uh, pure DNA, basically, and she's been uh, a bit like Bubba Fett, allowed to age properly without any sort of accelerants. Mm-hmm. So it, it make obviously it makes um, her DNA for cloning very strong and therefore very valuable to the Camoans who obviously want to try and sell this back to the uh, Empire to, to make money. Uh, we go back to Omega, who's been helped by... Uh, that his droid Toto is um, sort of guarding her. He's got a broke, broken leg that Bane's refused to fix. So um, Omega manages to convince him to let her out to fix the leg. Um, obviously, he's not very bright, this robot. And uh, Omega does actually fix his leg, but then uh, manages to switch him off and make an escape. But Bane does get to her before she can uh, sort of. I think she she does make contact with the bad batch, doesn't she? She tries. Yeah. Try they they can't sort of locate exactly where she is, but uh, she tries to um, cause a power surge or something so they can so they can uh, find a location. But before she can do anything, Bane. Bane's realised she's escaped and he he's got a got her back and cuffs her. Um but we see a ship arrive, someone else is uh landing on the planet. Who could it be? It's Fennec Shand. Nice to see her back. And um she's after Omega too, but for different reasons. Um a bit of a standoff and uh, shootout and fight. Um, escalates between Fennec Shand and Cad Bane. This again allows um, Omega to slip away throughout all the chaos and she manages to find herself in a room with a satellite which she uh, is able to operate to um, contact uh, to, well not contact but uh, to send a signal out that the Bad Batch can uh, follow and locate her with. It also looks like um, Fennec Shand is killed or at least knocked out um, Tan Wei as well, who was waiting with the money. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty much confirmed that she's she's killed her. Doesn't she try? Doesn't she sort of do something near the end to create a distraction or something, or is that something else? Uh, no, but, that was that was something else. All right, fair dues. But yeah, anyway, um, sort of send at um, send at one, but does get the sort of best out of Bane. But he manages to recover and uh, corner Omega as she's uh, trying to make her escape. But Shen shows up again, and they have a bit of a hand-to-hand fight, which is pretty cool. Um, but uh, allowing again Omega to slip away uh, she gets into a little flight pod the little robot Toto tries to stop her but it's all in vain she takes off and um, manages to fly out so far but 
something seems to happen to the pod and it looks like it's going to crash um all hope looks lost but um luckily the bad batch are there just in time and uh, they save omega yeah so i think they tell omega why she's so important to the Camoans and um Cad Bane tries to chase after them, but it looks like Fennec Shand has already sabotaged his ship as a, a fail-safe, so he, he can't get after them. So, um, yeah, pretty uh, pretty good episode of a lot going on, episode nine. And then we have episode ten, Common Ground, opens with an address from uh, an officer of the Empire declaring that they are not an enemy, but they want to treat everyone fairly. Um, they ask everyone uh, for compliance. So it's already starting to look quite a bit like a, a dictatorship, this uh, this empire business. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, um, they also talk about curfews. Um, this is Senator Goes. Uh, there's a senator there he's supposed to um, sort of back them up rile people up to uh, go along with what the empire want Um, but even though he was a separatist a bit like Charlotte Flair the other night he goes off (laughs) script and uh, basically he says he won't stand for the, the occupation the impression of the empire and um, they so they take him away. Luckily, he's he's managed to send his droid um, to call for help. I think they must contact um, Sid, who gives these like the mission, well, the bad batch, the mission to go and save this uh, senator. Mm-hmm. They don't seem too convinced about it because he's a separatist, but Sid sort of argues that, you know, this is a way. You've got nowhere else to go. You you still owe me a debt. So, you know, go and do the mission, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they go to, uh, is it Raxis, the planet? Yeah. Uh, I think the droid's called GSA or something like that. Uh, so they head to the planet Rexus to save to save the senator, um, and they also in this they they decide after her, no doubt after everything she's been through with being captured by Cad Bane, they decide to leave Omega behind um, with Sid looking after her, which uh, obviously annoys um, young the young Omega. And um, would you really trust Sid to look after <laughs> a, a, a child? <laughs> <laughs> it's straight away so it starts giving Omega chores which I find uh, quite humorous <laughs> um, the Bad Batch they land on the planet they meet up with the droid who um, tells them uh, about the senator and what and um, what they need to do to save him uh, they're, they're, they're still a bit even with this droid they're still a bit Concerned, I think um, they're worried it might be a bit of a, a separatist trap. So mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're still um, still not too sure. Uh, we cut to, back to Omega. Um, 
sort of helping Sid play chess and gives us some pointers on how to play. And she actually wins the game. Impressed. Sid asks, how do you know? How did you know to do that? And then he just, well, just, I'm really good with strategy. And of course, Sid sees this as a way to make money. <laughs> so it starts making uh, a maker play everybody in the canteen basically for cash. <laughs> uh, basically, back on Rexus, um, the bad bat managed to uh, get to the senator and rescue him but a, a big alert goes off alerting uh, the imperials and stormtroopers and clones and the like so um they have to get away quick they seem to apprehend um or commandeer is probably the right word a walker maybe an early sort of mark one version of a walker perhaps um, they don't get too far in that before that's sort of knocked out of commission and while they're trying to get that going again they have to fend off um, the, the troopers but they uh, they get going and uh, they manage to get away with the, uh, the senator intact in the end and they get back to Sid and they find Omega winning her umpteenth game of this sort of space chess. Um, Hunter's a bit concerned as to what's going on. And so like, basically, she's just paid your debt for you. So clearly, Omega's very good at this game, and she's managed to win a, a shed load of money. Yeah, she's, she's even cleared the debt, according to Sid. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So uh, proving, proving quite useful. Oh, and at the end, Hunter says, OK, then, you can play me, and if you beat me, we'll never leave you behind again, and you can come on all our missions. And um, the episode ends before we see see them play, so we don't even know who wins. But I'm assuming Omega wins. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like the end of Rocky Three. You don't know. Well, I say, you say you don't know who won the fight at the end of Rocky Three, but I think years later, Rocky says in the good film that Apollo won. So maybe wait to season two, we'll find out who won. <laughs> maybe. Anyway, uh, episode 11, Devil's Deal. Um, again, on another planet occupied uh, by the Empire this time. It's uh, Ryloth, a mm-hmm. uh, planet of the Twi'leks. Um, again... They're uh, they're making soon. It's like a, a sort of like a, a rough. Well, what the the empire is telling them is a refinery, anyway. But it's all very secret and hush hush, and nobody's really meant to go near it. So they're all a bit concerned about this um, this refinery and what it means. And we see. Uh, a young Captain Hera, but obviously she's not a captain at this point. It's just Hera, um, who we know from Star Wars Rebels, and mm-hmm. she's with the robot Chopper. So uh, nice again to see some uh, other characters from uh, the different series been brought in. It's almost like a, a sort of coming of age and how she sort of got started episode, really. Um, Involving yeah. her, right? It's funny because also we had a uh, young Ken and Jarrus when he was still Caleb at the start mm. of the series, and now we got her here. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's quite cool how they're linking all this into the bigger picture. Um, you, you can sort of tell it has the same sort of people's hands all over it, really, because yeah. it's uh, it, it, it's you know it's all very good at linking into previous stories, and she's there with some binoculars spying on the on the refi- the refinery. I think her uncle who's uh, I don't know, some sort of general or something in the Twilight uh, Army, he's put her up to it. Uh, but unfortunately, she gets apprehended by um, by troopers and um, she's brought in back to her, her mother uh, and father, who's her father's general, Cham, I think. Mm-hmm. If I pronounce that right. Yeah. Because um, it's, uh, it's a good, uh, another difference with this episode. It's a good few minutes before we actually see the Bad Batch, and they sort of just sort of uh, appear in the episode. So it looks like they've already been sent by Sid to to come in and uh, and and sort of do a job there. I think they're are they are they bringing the weapons, aren't they? That, yeah, that they're... they're trying to smuggle through, aren't they? That's what it was. Because yeah. this episode and episode ten are similar in some respects, so I think I've got, I think I've got them a little, getting them a little bit confused in, in my head because I've only made sort of bullet point notes, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, I remember now. Yeah, so they're they're bringing these weapons that um, Twilex want because they've been told to give up their arms by the Empire, but they're not too. Um, so, well, some of them aren't too keen to do it. They're, they're, they don't really trust the Empire, and quite rightly so. So they, they go on this mission. He takes Hera with him, which is a bit of a, a bad idea. She's reluctant to go at first, but he, her uncle promises she can fly the ship. So that <laughs> sort of seals the deal, and uh, she goes with him. But uh, yeah, they're, they're being watched. Um, Crosshairs is there. He shoots down the ship of uh, the sniper rifle, shooting one of the engines by the locks. Because um, they find Hera there and they want to tie this um, sort of smuggling run to her father, General Cham. And they're talking about um, treason and throwing words like that around, which is. Um, Worrying her parents, yeah. So, any but they they arrest them all anyway, and uh, they transport them all by via a, a motorcade, um, and the bad batch and some of the twilights. They uh, they try and attack the uh, the motorcade to to free um, to free the ones that have been captured. Um, when they do sort of stop the motorcade, but it looks like it's all part of a plan by by uh, Admiral Rampart to uh, sort of get rid of people they don't want, like uh, like the senator. He gets shot in the head, and then they sort of frame um, Hera's parents basically for uh, his assassination. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like he's playing the game of chess and he's moving pieces to take pieces he doesn't want off the board it's pretty much um pretty much how the empire operates so they sort of 
kind of fell for that sort of hook, line and sinker. So quite an interesting end. I didn't quite see it all panning like panning out like that at the end, to be honest. So it's quite a good because it sort of sets up why Hera would be so against the the Galactic Empire and why she would join the rebels and be so keen to fight because she's sort of seen them at their worst with that. Mm-hmm. It's weird to last like the way we've now changed it from three episodes to two episodes. Meant the last couple of episodes now we've ended on an episode that has a very down ending, like both times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um. It is, but it is. It is good though. I like the way they're bringing, you know, bringing back characters we know from, um, even though it's in prequel fashion from other series, and you're sort of get, getting a real sort of idea of how the sort of empire operated in its early days and how it was sort of like a establishing control and all these planets and and what have you. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think I agree with what you said. Episodes ten and eleven do have you know similar presence in a way, like premise and the idea of like occupation of that planet. But I think episode eleven is a bit more action packed than episode ten. Is uh, episode ten is a bit slower, like in the middle between these two episodes. And I think you know there was a big thing in a lot of the uh, Clone Wars episodes where they're trying to get different planets, like. Uh, they mentioned like this planet Raxus is part of the independent systems. Uh, so like a lot of the Clone Wars was uh, the Separatists, like by Dooku or Grievous and the Jedi, trying to get planets on their side and have the clones let the clones help them, uh, and like get to make sure they're on the, like, the different sides during the war. And whenever a uh, side would be like, against it, they didn't like the idea of like the clone presence. And weirdly, a lot of those planets' worst fears are now being realised now that the clones are part of the Empire. So now basically they're, they said, oh, we're only going to stay until the war's over. Then the war's over, but then even more troops come. And uh, I think we talked, I said about it before, but, and people have said in the past, but like, they're basically Nazis in space of the Empire, and that's basically, well, it's like, you got people like speaking to them from Balkis talking about why, oh, yes, it's a good it's a good thing that we've got these curfews and all these, and even more soldiers on the streets and everything. And you, know, you, see, you see what happens when people try and speak out against them. And it was interesting to see Hera, like you said, because I remember uh, you, you hear the, the surname Sindula mentioned earlier in that episode. And mm. I'm like, oh, isn't that Hera's last name from Meryl's? And then you see young Rick on Hera. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's, that's the thing with like, Dave, Dave Filoni. He's always able to tie stuff together. Yeah, and it it just makes all the sense in the world, really. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. And as you say, the sort of... They're sort of being convinced to accept what the Empire are doing because, you know, you, you don't have to fight anymore. The war's over and um, sort of telling them everything's going to get better. But, in fact, everything's going to get a lot worse. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to see the dynamic between Hera and her, her father in this episode because in, in Rebels, when you've seen her father, like she, she's not been back to Ryloth in, in years and... Mm. It, it was portrayed in real like her relationship with her father had become strained over the years but here you know she's dreaming of flying everything she wants to help and uh her dad wants to just keep her out of everything because you know even though he doesn't trust the empire he's just like so it's implied that he was some sort of like freedom fighter and he helped fight alongside the clones and that the people of the planet like, trust him more than they do their own leader the 
Senator Tahu, basically, you know, basically typical like corrupt politician. All the tropes you'd consider in that are in this character. And like, there's certain characters in animation they're just drawn or animated to basically say to you, "That's a bad guy," and that's how he's designed in this episode. Just like, basically, but no, there's no hiding it. This is one of the bad guys here uh, when you see him, but. So, but he's obviously done with it, but he's but you got a uh, Gobi, I think he's maybe uh, Hera's uncle who is kinda convinced they should be fine, they shouldn't be giving up their weapons and uh some still think it's a good idea to bring the bring Hera along with them. Uh so say like so the area of the conflicting ideologies where like Chan doesn't trust the Empire but he's just too tired of fighting. It's only when Hera mm. gets in trouble that he's forced to you know, get back into fighting. Yeah, and um, the sort of greedy and stupid senator just sort of goes along with it all, not realising that as soon as he's not needed, the Empire are just going to get rid of him, which they do. And they also use um, his death as a, a reason to, to sort of frame the um, um, champ Zenoda and... Uh, the mother to get them out of the way as well so they can get on with occupying a planet with as minimal fuss and trouble um, as they can. And it kind of it also it, it also shows the, the genius of uh, Empire, Emperor Palpatine as well that, um, you know, the, the clones were fighting with all these people at one time. They were the good guys and then he sort of says the magic sort of code work and switches them all to his side. So yeah. they're sort of, you're almost sort of used to their sort of, you know, presence in that in a way. Yeah. It's like weird little play, the separatists and like Dooku and that were so keen to like get uh, planets to like fight with the bad guys and everything. But, and the clones were made like, act like they were saving them, but really in the background, Palpatine's like, it doesn't matter which, who these, this planet sides with? Because either way, they're going to have my people involved here. Eventually, when I when I say Order sixty six, I'm just going to rule all of this. So, probably just sitting back, knowing that no matter what ha- happens, he wins. Like, I think it's the thing the tagline for like Alien versus Predator: whoever wins, we lose. And that's yeah. the, that sums up the strategy of Palpatine, which is quite clever. And uh, you know, like you got the bad batch that you said they'd only have like one scene in this episode. Uh, it doesn't take away from the episode at all. It's actually interesting to see these other characters get a, a spotlight. You, know, you get to see a little bit more crosshair. Who like this white politician doesn't like trust Chan because he thinks he has too much influence on the people, and there's any worries that he's plotting against them. Whereas rightfully so, crosshair says like, you know, but this guy Gobi, he's the one you should be worried about, and he spots Hera going with him to get guns, and he plants a tracker on them, and also that's why they're so prepared for them as soon as they come back down and they capture them. Yeah, he's he's a very good thinker and and tactical man. His crosshairs and he always seems to be a step ahead of everybody and uh, and know who the problem is. Yeah, it was because um, the senator couldn't really get the people on side. It was uh, if you say general, as you say, general Cham seemed to be the one who could rally up the people. So he was the one that they sort of needed to take off the board, so to speak, and also getting back to um, Palpatine and more um, the episode that preceded this, episode 10, that he even sort of duped the separatists as well, the people that were working with him, because even though 
that senator was a separatist, even he can see how <laughs> how bad the empire is and how it's going to get and wants nothing to do with them. So, mm-hmm. you know, every, everybody's uh, got duped by this one sort of major evil. Yeah. And, like, the idea of, like, also, like, how the, the politician in episode 11, nobody trusted him, but the, the people on episode 10, they trust uh, Senator Singh. And then, so he was going to go along with it. But then he says, like, no, I can't. As soon as he starts to speak negatively against them, you know, the troops are surrounding him, they take him away and everything. And, yeah, I think it's a case of, like, it shows again about not everything's not so black and white, that even though he's a member of the Separatists, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's evil like other Separatists we've seen, like Dooku and people like that. And maybe he just joined the Separatists because he thought for his plan it was the right thing to do. And, like, the Bad Batch having a figure that's not all black and white, because as soon as you hear the word Separatist, Echo especially out of all of them, is like, no way. Like, we're not helping a Separatist and everything. And I think it ties back to Hunter, what he said a few episodes ago, everything was simpler when they were just soldiers, where they were just told, you're the good guys, here's here's your enemy and everything. And then they have to figure everything out for themselves and who they can and can't trust. Yeah, exactly. It's um, going to be a bit of a, a minefield and trial and error who they can trust now with uh, the Empire sort of spreading its web across the galaxy for lack of a better analogy uh, it's all sort of starting to sort of take shape I, I say the Occupy and Oppression and there's a bit like going back to similarity with the Nazis a bit like the, the, the propaganda side of things sort of making people a making sort of high-ranking people that the public will trust to, to spout, you know, their sort of propaganda to get them on side. And as some some are unwilling to, to go along with it, while, while others are more willing to go along with it. Yeah. And, like, we see, like, we already know, like, you're bad, the Empire was, but also we're seeing different sides of it. Uh, to talk about episode nine, because I mentioned last week I was really interested to, to get a mm. thoughts on it, but... Uh, the Kaminoans, like, through Clone Wars, when we realised that they obviously knew about what the clones were meant for and the, the chips and everything, and then we see them in this, like, we've seen a whole new sinister side to the Kaminoans, because, like, you wouldn't really think much of them if you just saw them, if you, like, just based them on how they're portrayed in the prequels, because they only appear in episode two, and basically they're used to put a face behind two made clones. But then you see them in this in Clone Wars, uh, the TV show, you see a whole new side to them, like especially the, the Prime Minister, because he basically says that, yeah, once you get enough genetic material from uh, Omega, just basically kill her. Yeah, it's like all sort of evildoers in, in this sort of thing. They they see the, um, the clones as a, a product, not as a, a proper people, so they, they think nothing of getting, extracting whatever they need from them, blood, DNA, whatever, and then just, as he as he puts it quite callously, terminating them. But you say, I never really thought of them as a sort of evil from what, as you say, from the small glimpses you catch from the films, but you know, these, they're definitely not nice um, aliens if they were prepared to do that. Obviously, his... Um, assisted and sort of normal right-hand woman, uh, Nayla Say, is quite close to Omega, and she obviously, she's the one who obviously 
contacted um, Fennec Sand to help out um, Omega because she doesn't want her to get to be killed, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like Fennec Sand contacted her at the end and basically says, you know, I could go after the clones if you want. And she said, like, no, as long as she's with them, she's safer than she would be if she was with, uh, with Nalisu. So basically, she got, by letting the bad batch get Omega, basically, Fennec Sand had completed her job. And yeah, like, I was happy to see her come back because by this point in the series, I remember thinking, like, not sure if she was ever going to come back, and then getting to see her face off with Cad Bane, and it was a wee glimpse of like how much more experience Bane is as a bounty hunter and a killer than Fennec Jan. She basically says to her, "You've not got the experience to go up against me." Yeah, but she was more than able to hold her own, and as as I mentioned in my read through, she uh, she sort of had an insurance policy. Um, by sabotaging his ship, so uh, she more than knows what she's doing, and a bit more of a bit more anti-hero, perhaps in in this episode as she was um, in the other one. Yeah, and also even though she's now he was like better intention than she was before, uh, also Omega is not keep quick to trust her because of what happened back in episode four. Also, she's not an idiot in that regard. Uh, it's interesting to see like they said they wanted to determine as soon as they got enough material from her because I remember that being a point in the Clone Wars TV show where the the Kaminoans were concerned about you know like how little genetic material they had left over from Django after he was killed and how that was going to limit the production of of clones. Uh, I can't remember when about, but it was when about the midpoint of like Clone Wars run that they mentioned that. So I'm assuming also the genetic material that she's got is a bit more advanced. They only need a certain amount to create a superior clones which means they don't need her around for long. Uh, they might need Django, and I'm assuming that once they realize, once Django was killed, that was probably where the plan was set in motion for the Kaminoans to try and find a, a new source for the clones, like someone like Omega. Yeah, and obviously they, they talk about um, some clones, like when they met... Um... Oh, was it Captain Rex? Was it yeah. okay? Um, they said, "Oh, you're like a, a series one clone." So obviously, the further down the line they get, the weaker the the strain and DNA gets. Um, perhaps that's when you start getting defects a bit, like um, you see with the Bad Batch, where they they came out a little bit different, even though their sort of defects are strengths. Mm-hmm. They're not quite what they wanted, so obviously um, Omega's got much stronger genetic material, which will allow them to make better clones, obviously, which they hope to, to sell to the Empire to keep the money rolling in, because if they start um, enlisting like they're on about, um, they're not going to make any money. Yeah, yeah, and they mentioned like Boba Fett, so he was... His growth was stunted so he could be raised to tail because that's what Django, Django wanted a son mm. for his own. And also that's what they did with Omega, which is why she's still you know, acting like a child, even though she's so kind of advanced in a lot of ways. And like, things you say, like, like he went, Dick says he went missing, you know, during the war, uh, talking about Boba, which would be interesting to know if, like, the Cameron's ever tried, like, find Boba or hunt him down to try and use him for the same purposes they wanted, you know, Omega for. Because uh, he did appear a young Boba Fett once or twice in the Clone Wars TV show because he was trying to get revenge on on uh, Mace Windu, but then he pretty much disappeared up until like Mandalorian in terms of the or the original trilogy up until like the terms of the timeline. Yeah, yeah, they they, they might just not know where he is, or because he's allied himself with bounty hunters, perhaps he's too 
sort of risky to go after. I'm not too sure, but be interesting to see if he he does pop up in the series at some point. Yeah, like seeing a, a young Boba Fett, maybe or I think anything for like after like Clone Wars that many know about his kind of background. Boba Fett may make that in a flashback in, up, in the upcoming like Booker Boba Fett uh, that's coming out soon. So that'd be quite interesting to see. But yeah, I was like, I think we kind of could tell that uh, it was the Caminoans that went after Omega, but it was nice to get like confirmation and again seeing the ulterior motives behind it. And uh, Hunter promises that you don't, ha- you'll never have to go back to Camino. But it obviously means they will have to at some point. <laughs> we always know how these promises sort of pan out in these sort of um, series. Yeah, you know, as soon as it leaves his mouth. Uh, and it was also nice they got back with her and uh, Wrecker, like, when they get, they, I think they just got back from rescuing her at the start of episode 10, where as they're carrying her through Ord Mantel, and she's got the Mantel mix uh, as they're walking through the street, and basically they want to like, keep a low profile, and they leave her, like, basically she just mops around, <laughs> she mops around uh, Sid's place, and even the, the clientele, who aren't obviously the most morally righteous, even when she shouts at them, they, they look at her just like, like, come on, she's a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's quite cool as well to see how happy Wrecker is when they yeah, find her again as well. It's uh, it's cool to see that sort of friendship uh, continue. And it also feels like we might be getting answers to why the Empire sort of moved away from clones as well. Because they were, you know, you've seen them in the prequels and they're sort of so efficient and easy to sort of command and that. You you wonder why you'd go away from that. So maybe they had no choice. Perhaps they couldn't make any more clones or perhaps because of people like um, Governor Tarkin um, who weren't fans of the clones, they decided to move away from them anyway so it's good you know it's giving you some good sort of insights and answers to perhaps questions you didn't even know you needed answers to yeah because like even though there are the occasional like clones that you know go against the, the chip like the, the bad batch and rex manages to remove his and even there's a, a, a clone called a uh, captain hauser who appears in episode 11 who Every so often, seems hesitant, like he's one. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think of him. He, as you say, he was a little bit hesitant at times, wasn't he? So, yeah, like he doesn't want to cap. Like he, when he catches her early in the episode, like spying on the refinery, he basically says to Jen, like, "Listen, like I wouldn't report this, but don't let it happen again." And then he's one of the ones that's told to like take her and the others into the the convoy after they catch them, and he's like, "Yeah, but she's she's just a kid." So yeah, so even so, there must be some clones. Perhaps their chips aren't fully functional or they've got a bit more of a conscience or something so yeah that's also quite interesting to see even if there are a few that also don't go against that go against the chip i think for the most part i think you'd you'd think at least clones were easier to control uh than say like like constricted like soldiers who we've seen how easily that guy defined crosshair or how easy finn and like the force awakens just went against being a clone trooper like on one of his first battles, he just decides like I don't want to do this anymore. So you think those like clones would be easier to control, but maybe as like the influence of people like Tarkin and Rampart who aren't into the idea of clones, uh, also seeping in, and you know, also I think now that Palpatine controls basically the whole universe, he's like I can get anyone who I want to be a, a trooper for me, and 
like, the thing with Rampart is basically you see an F11 how he can be like as a member of the Empire because like a lot of the generals like Tarkin or like you see Moff Gideon like how sinister they are and I wasn't sure about his Rampart when he was introduced in F11 like three but he's definitely he's definitely part of the Empire because he's just as uh, uncaring as as any of them like the way he's easily like okay Senator Tal you played your part right before you know Crosshair shoots him. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely he's definitely bad news, isn't he? He's sort of uh, the top echelons in the sort of in a circle of the um, the very top of the the empire by the looks of it. And um, yeah, you also you, you also I was going to say make a joke. So you also don't see clones bumping their heads either, do you? So. <laughs> yeah, because like. Even though the clones are kind of easily taken out by uh, the freedom fighters when they're like when they're trying to rescue her and everything, like at least like these guys have been fighting alongside the clones, they probably know how to, you know, get the jump on them. And at least, and the clones at least you know can shoot majority of the stuff that they aim at, which is what's less can be said for the bloody stormtroopers. Yeah, the only thing they're ever able to uh, sharpshoot are the big sort of track things on the. Uh... Uh, the um, oh, what what are they called? Those sand crawler things yeah. that they they take out. I mean, they're massive. I mean, if you can't hit that, you may as well give up, aren't you? <laughs> Very much, yeah. But yeah, all in all, some uh, decent um, episodes uh, uh, seem to move the store story forward. So, quite looking forward to what's coming next and. Um, how everything all concludes as well. So um, I know you're a big fan of episode nine, which I really enjoyed as well. I like the fact we saw Fennec San turn up again and a bit more on why they find Omega so important. And I quite like seeing Cad Bane. I think he's quite a cool character. So what did you think of the other two episodes? Uh, episode 10, uh, I think it kind of slowed things down a bit, even though there was the kind of a, reaction scene like when they're trying to escape after they've rescued the center and he ends up being the one that provides them the path to escape even though they didn't trust him at first but i think you needed to slow it down in a wee sense because it does like carry over because also everything that happened to omega in the previous episodes i think okay that gives them the motivation to leave her behind but in doing so she proves herself useful in a way that she clears the debt which means now they just need maybe a few more high paying jobs and they can maybe they don't need to work for sid anymore uh, and episode eleven again, given that this is like other characters we kind of know from other shows, uh, I thought it was wrong. So yeah, I'd say uh, episode ten isn't as strong as the other two, but episode ten still plays its purpose. So there's very little actual filler uh, when we're being so far when we go through this actual run of episodes. So um, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. Also, so far, like getting to watch a lot of this back. Yeah, I would agree with with that. Probably episode ten is probably the uh, the weakest, um, but it's still decent. And yeah, I enjoyed uh, episode eleven. I like as I say, it's cool to see uh, Chopper and Hera um, in their really sort of doors and how things sort of panned out uh, with them on their planet. Um, sort of gives you. A good insight to why she became such an argent um, member of the the resistance and the rebels. Yeah, and also 
she got, she's so jealous of Omega when she said she lives on a ship and again obviously <laughs> it's a reference to the fact that also the crew and rebels all live on that the same ship and Era is the main pilot of that ship and the fact also that the like, Bad Batch are the ones delivering the weapons on Sid's kind of behalf you know it kind of ties into what they were doing in episode 8 when they were hunting through the ship and uh, looking for like, weapons that they could eventually sell to get the money to no longer be working for Sid even though like, Echo was against it but it shows also the you know they don't like to think of themselves as gun runners they're giving that at least to people who are using it for a good purpose and also they're using the money now that they they need the money now that they're no longer in, in said state. Yeah, definitely. And I'm also starting to think that maybe Sid isn't as all bad as maybe we sort of first thought when we, they sent them after the uh, the Rancor. But I think she's in it for the money, isn't she? Isn't she? More than um, for anything either bad or good, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, also she's it for herself, but you know, I think over time she's kind of grown to, well, not like, but kind of, you know, obviously, alternatively, say, like, you know, having the battery, even though she's kind of a uh, rude to Omega, once she sees she's got a purpose, you know, she's a lot warmer to her. Yeah, definitely. Because I was a bit worried when he was sort of um, on about leaving Omega behind. I thought, oh, God, she's not going to uh, give, give her up or anything, but. Just just makes her work and then gets gets the underage gamble in. So Yeah, classic stuff. <laughs> nothing 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 wrong, nothing to say here. <laughs> I mean anything goes nowadays in Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, definitely um some good stuff. So, Scott, are you ready for your plugs? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. I think yeah, we do, I have talked about everything we need to in regards to these episodes. But uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter at ScottMcLean1986. Follow Scott and Paul's Round Plug, which is under the Rogue Pines banner, uh, at SP Rambling on Twitter. We had a couple of episodes last week. We had uh, our preview slash predictions for Baron for Glory, which this week, if it's not already up yet by the time you listen to this, uh, we've already posted a review of Bound for Glory. Uh, and even though me and Paul have been, me and Paul have also been going before we joined Rogue Pains, uh, as uh, this past week we are celebrating four years. Me and Paul being a moderately successful podcast, and basically we're just gonna in a couple of weeks we're gonna do a very self-indulgent. Oh, look how far, look at yes, we didn't give up. Uh, get a podcast, and then following that we've got a plan in the next couple of weeks to do a. Our retrospective on the X Division Championship. So, uh, two good stuff in the next couple weeks from me and Paul coming up. Uh, you guys have probably heard of me and quizzes in the, if you listen to the back catalogue of Rogue Pines, you can hear me on a quiz or even see me on a quiz on East Star's YouTube channel, which is Quiz Showdown 15 Clash of the Titans, where I take on David Hockley in a 15 minute wrestling trivia Iron Man match. It's a very unique uh, style of quiz. Uh, also check out past episodes of what me and Carl have done. Uh, I have No Rogues Barred. I'm trying to arrange some new episodes of that. Uh, yeah, always doing stuff with the SSR. Every so often I have nothing yeah, coming out just yet. I'm pretty sure there's a G1 episode of a show I do over there called East Meets West coming out soon. But, you know, I, nothing else other than that and uh, the quiz. So, yeah, between that and Rogue Pines, you know, I think I've got some stuff planned, but nothing natural that's already out 
not as many stuff out that I can plug. Well, we say some good stuff there. But see, I'm here to tell you people that I've got just as many podcasts as Scott. I'm the man of a thousand and four podcasts. <laughs> and my first podcast is called Armbar. Uh. <laughs> and then I've also got my, new, my other new podcast, Armbar. <laughs> and then there's my third new podcast, also called Armbar. But no, no, on a serious note, um, I've got the, um, the latest um Rogue um, Chronicles uh, I did with Liam, which is on Catwoman. That could be the last one for a while. We're hoping to do a threesome again with Scott involved. Uh, I beg your pardon. The... <laughs> that came out really wrong. <laughs> We're hoping to do a triple threat. Um, getting Scott on board again to perhaps talk about the Scarecrow, so hopefully we can get that uh, scheduled in the near future. Um, trying to get Nathan to record another sports pod with me while we can uh, angrily shout about the failings of Manchester United and maybe analyse why we need a new manager. So keep an eye out for that. And also in the works, I have got um, a, a Buffy retro pod in the works, which will feature uh, Sam Carmichael, who joined us on the Loki pod. So hopefully we can get that up and running uh, at some point as well. So keep a lookout for those. Other than that, you can, f- yeah, other than that, you can find me here with uh, Scott. And uh, as you know, I, you know, I did my best to come up with a thousand and four podcast, but it just ain't easy, folks. Bye. Bye bye. And they say it's time for living. 